This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Michael Van of Sacramento State's Department of History. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Mark McKinney, professor of French at Miami University, Ohio, about post-colonialism and migration in French comics, out with Leuven University Press in 2020. This book is the final installment of a trilogy of sorts that includes The Colonial Heritage of French Comics, Liverpool University Press, 2011, and Redrawing French Empire in Comics, Ohio State University Press, 2013. Dr. McKinney also co-edited with Alex G. Hargreaves, Post-Colonial Cultures in France, Rutledge, 1997, and edited History and Politics in French Language Comics and Graphic Novels, University of Mississippi Press, 2008. And from 2008 to 2015, along with Laurence Grove and Ann Miller, he edited the academic journal European Comic Art. Dr. Mark McKinney, uh, Mark, if I may, welcome to New Books in History. Thanks a lot. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, and and I'm delighted to have you on as I've really appreciated your work over the years. Um, and you've inspired me to take cartoons seriously as historical uh, artifacts and cultural artifacts in my research on the French colonial empire. And and full disclosure here, you gave me the opportunity to publish some of my work um, in, I think, the second volume of European comic art uh, well over a decade ago. And in many ways, that put me on the path to doing my own graphic history of colonial Vietnam. So I owe you a huge uh, merci, uh, a huge thank you, and um, thanks for all your great work. Bah, je vous en prie, c'était un gros plaisir. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, before we get into your newest book, um, Post-Colonial, Post-Colonialism and Migration in French Comics, would you please tell us a little bit about your career trajectory? Um, how did you come to specialize in the history of French colonial comics and now post-colonial comics? Well, thank you very much, Michael, um, for your generous introduction and your kind invitation to, to speak with you today. I really enjoyed learning from you about André Joyeux's uh, La Vie Large des Colonies, um, published in Paris in 1912, which is a really fascinating collection of cartoons. And um, without your explanation of what was going on, I would have been quite lost in, 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 that, uh, in that book. Um, so my interest in... Um, Colonial comics uh, comes originally from growing up reading colonial era comics in uh, that were originally published in French, and so reading them in English translation, and specifically um, Hergé's Tintin series. Although I, I didn't read Tintin Congo, um, Tintin in the Congo, until um, I was an adult and, uh, and working interested in comics and, and tint the, the, a scholarly approach to the Tintin series. 
So my return to comics and interest in them as a scholar was encouraged by two sets or series of encounters um, that I had while I was doing my graduate studies in French in the 1980s and 1990s. On the one hand, I happened upon the comics of Raw Magazine in a bookstore, um, which was edited by Art Spiegelman of Mouse uh, fame, and uh, also by Françoise Mouly, uh, a Frenchwoman and um, the art director of the New Yorker magazine now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 so, and is, is his partner. Um, and his is, wife. indeed, they're, they're, right, that's right. <laughs> power, power couple in the world of uh, underground comics. Truly so. And, and you know, more generally now in the art world, I, I think you, you could say too, with, with uh, the New Yorker covers, they've, um, they've been able to publish and, and so on, um, and other, other books. So Ra, Ra offered me a kind of education in the history of comics and an introduction to the breadth of contemporary comics, um, including in Europe. Uh, through uh, the translations of works that they had by European cartoonists from Dutch, French, Italian, uh, and so on, and including by Balu, who was one of the artists uh, whose comics I then analyzed in postcolonialism and migration in French comics. So that, I think, was my first introduction to Balu's work was in, in translation in their, um, in their publication, in RAW. That's right. And, and then on the other hand, um, I purchased some comics by Farid Boujelal and Anita Comics in Paris uh, in the late 1980s, and I began writing about them in 1989 in a piece that in modified form finally ended up uh, published in, in my latest book, um, So and it never had been before. So oh, re- it, really? Some, some, yeah, some yeah. of your earliest writing made it into your most... That's, that's great. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought it might be lost forever, but I was able to <laughs> import it at, at the, at the last, uh, in the last book. So, um, so my encounter with the, their post-colonial comics led me back to the intertwined history of comics and colonialism um, as a kind of way of understanding what is going on now in comics, right, with post-colonialism. Um, I, I needed to understand what had been going on back then, what the, the cartoonists were working against uh, or, or in, uh, if you like, working things out that had come before them. Um, so that's how I ended up publishing the, the first two books about colonialism and comics before coming back to a post-colonialism which had been the subject of my chapter, my single author chapter in the book with Alec Hargreaves, uh, Post-Colonial Cultures in France, that had been on métissage in uh, French comics, French and Belgian comics. So I started out there and then I was able to finally work my way back up to the present um, progressively. So this is a, a, a time as a flat circle kind of narrative in your in your life, in your interest. You're coming back to what you're writing on in, in the late 80s. And I mean, that's fantastic that you're, you, I mean, if you're buying the Anita comics in the late 80s, I and mean, this is shortly after their publication, so it's they're not historical artifacts at that point when we were both much younger, um, but they but they are now, right? Um, and before we get into the book, could you just say a few words about the significance of um comics in France, the, the so called ninth art in, in France and in the Francophone world? Because we need to include Belgian in this conversation, um, as well, especially we talk about colonial comics with uh Hergé's influence. Absolutely. Um, so comics have been a poor relative of art and literature in most of French speaking Europe, and so I would include also Switzerland along with um. Uh, France and Belgium uh, since the 19, since the, excuse me the 1830s right um, and so they've been impoverished not in terms of inventiveness or accomplishments 
but rather through a lack of cultural recognition and artistic legitimacy. Um, Swiss author and pedagogue Rodolphe Topfer, who lived from 1799 to 1846 and has been called the father of the comic strip by David Kunzel, um, an art historian. So um, Topfer self-published his first novel in print, as he called it, Un roman en estampe, um, Histoire de Monsieur Jabot, so the story of Mr. Jabot, in 1833. And then another of his comics, Les Amours de Monsieur Vieux-Bois, uh, from 1837, was translated and published in 1842 in New York and Cincinnati as The Adventures of Obadiah Oldbuck, so the first American comic book. Um, so unearthing the long and remarkable early history of comics, a form that followed close after the invention of photography and preceded cinema by several decades, has been part of the work of discovery and legitimation that scholars such as Kunzel, Thierry Goinstein, and Benoit Peters have been doing for the last few decades. Um, and some of the most recent milestones marking the recognition of the form in French-speaking Europe include the election of cartoonist Catherine Maurice uh, to the Académie des Beaux-Arts in January 2020, and her seating there uh, last month on November 30, um, 2022. She's the first cartoonist elected to the Institut de France, and in her acceptance speech, she recalled the long history of comics in Francophone Europe, uh, citing Topfer, Cam, and Gustave Doré, and also commemorated her fellow Charlie Hebdo cartoonist murdered on January 7, 2015. Uh, and Pete Peters has recently been invited to spend a year lecturing on comics at the Collège de France. Um, and of course, comics are part of everyday life throughout French-speaking Europe in bookstores, libraries, schools, and comics festivals, including the Angoulême Festival, which is every uh, year, uh, third weekend of uh, January, so coming up. Mm -hmm. But compared to American culture and American engagement with comics, um, which, I mean... I think just within the past 15, 20 years, have Americans been able to say the term graphic history? And, and it's actually become something we know. It drives me crazy because I, I wrote a graphic, or sorry, sorry, not graphic history, graphic novel. Graphic novel is the term, right? I, sorry, I stumbled there because I because I wrote a graphic history and I'm, I was, it always gets called a graphic novel. I'm like, well, a novel's a work of fiction, but I'm, I'm really happy you Americans are able to use the term now. But this is this is later than um, sort of the, the more mainstream acceptance and the recognition of the, the I don't know, do we say seriousness of the bande dessinée as a genre um, compared to France, right? I mean, France and Japan have a much more sophisticated and more adult comic culture, could we say? Certainly. Um, and so that really began in the 1960s and 1970s when people like Alain René um, and uh, um, who else? A whole bunch of cultural critics um, started, Umberto Eco, uh, were, were working on comics, right? There was a, an issue of communication that was dedicated to comics, to the superhero, to Charlie Brown and things like that. Um, that in which uh, some prominent intellectuals participated. Um, so yes, that that work has been going on now for several decades. Um, we're, we're finally seeing some um, even more impressive results, as uh, you know, the, the Collège de France and the and the Institut uh, de France um, uh, openings to to um, people who work in comics, to cartoonists, to scriptwriters, or to um, the dessinatrice uh, Catherine Maurice. But, but certainly it's something that's been going on for a while. And um, that's included, for example, the founding of a national museum of, uh, and research center of comics in Angoulême, um, where, uh, you know, the, the 
staff is extremely helpful uh, where I've done research um, uh, multiple times. Uh, and um, that was done under um, Minister of Culture Jacques Long, uh, where, where the, the, the building by Roland Castro um, was then um, decided upon under Mitterrand. Um, so yeah, it's it's been, there's been an acceptance, uh, a growing acceptance of comics. Part of it's due to um, certainly to the to the more intellectual approach to comics uh, that that um, prominent intellectuals have had, but also to the important uh, economic clout that comics have in the book market in France and abroad, um, and and no doubt also to uh, comics usefulness to help spread the good tidings of French culture around the world, right? <laughs> as it were, soft, <laughs> as, soft power. Right, exactly. And so we see things like uh, a sponsorship today uh, by the um, French consulates of um, uh, translations of comics from French into English, of cartoonists coming as cultural missionaries to visit um, the United States and go to universities and different happenings, uh, book festivals. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an important cultural a phenomenon in France and and a useful institution in, in some ways too. Yeah, and I mean just just again this this comparison uh, with the United States. I mean it was useful for many of our, our listeners. I mean it's it's really not. Um, I don't know. It, well, you already mentioned Art Spiegelman, um, but it's it's Mouse that that forces Americans to take the genre seriously. And again, what what in France had, had already been termed the ninth art. Um, and so in some ways, I feel like American comic culture is playing catch up. I mean, it's a legacy from the, the Cold War era, sort of Red Scare, suppression of comics and mm-hmm. decency. I forget the name of the, the committee. That, right, the Comics Code, right. Comics Code, right. And, mm-hmm. the, and the, you know, the, the, that had to be in the underground. And again, doesn't even though we have a vibrant underground comic scene in the 70s and into the early 80s, the big breakout isn't until publication of uh, the first mouse and then definitely the second. That's um, true. Just yeah. I'll just note in passing yeah. that that the um, that uh, the person who is said to by Art Spiegelman to have inspired Mouse uh, just died in April of this year, um, and there is now ongoing um, until the end of this month um, a show by his put, put on in an art gallery um, in Cincinnati by his widow and uh, their daughter of Justin Green's uh, comics. Um, so it's uh, the, the work that inspired a mouse was um, Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary uh, from from uh, 1972. Um, that was about uh, it was an autobiographical work about the artist's um, OCD um, and how it uh, uh, caused him to th- rethink his relationship to Catholicism. Um, uh, so it's it's. Uh, but but that work was not taken seriously either uh, for a long time, right? Um, and and Art Spiegelman helped to um, to bring it to be taken to, with greater seriousness um, by citing it specifically as as one of the inspirations for for his great work. So, yeah, yeah, and um, I, I mean. It, Again, in, in more sophisticated cultures like France, um, <laughs> the the sophistication of comments was recognized uh, earlier. Um, so, as as a scholar, how do you how do you work with 
comics as artifacts, like in in your in your previous books, and 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 this this book has a historical narrative to it. So I'm I'm just curious, like from the um, from the historical standpoint, how you use them. Right. Well, I do my best because I'm not a, hist- a historian by training, contrary to you, Michael. But you, you, you play you play well with us. <laughs> I, I try. I try to. <laughs> I do my best. Um, well, so, um, my, you know, my main approach has been the history of representations, right, since since I, I come from a literary critical sort of um, training. Um, and in fact, I wrote my um, dissertation on um, prose fiction um, by people of uh, Algerian heritage in France. Um, so people like Azouz Begag, Faradel Belgoul, uh, Tassadi Timash, Ahmed Kalouaz, and Munsi. Um, so um, so I, it's a history of uh, representations um, and um, and. I also, so there's been massive amounts of work um, in France and in Belgium and in Switzerland too on the comics form, um, mostly from a, a sort of semiotics perspective. Um, and I guess the closest uh, in the American comics field would be Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, right? The, the closest uh, equivalent. Um, so Thierry Grunstein's System de la Bande Dessinée or Benoit Peters, Lire la Bande Dessinée, right? Um, so that, that useful work was already done, and I can rely on that. Uh, very helpful. There's, helpfully, there's also been work done on the history of the comics form, so the album, um, the, uh, things like that, the, the serialization. Um, and so I, I do try to integrate elements from that into my own research. And, but especially, of course, connecting the history of representations of colonialism and comics with uh, a larger political and cultural history of colonialism in France and, and abroad. So that's basically been my approach. Um, but um, I guess the, the, a couple of things that I've done that I think might be useful um, are, for example, um, and, and useful examples to, uh, to to give to you in this case are um, for the colonial heritage of French comics. I went and did research in the Archive d'Outre-mer in Aix-en-Provence about the sponsorship, French government sponsorship of the publications in which um, Saint-Augan was publishing. So um, the Zigepus um, series uh, that was a very, very important um, for French comics, the importing of the, of the, a speech balloon into French comics from, based on influence from the United States, from comics in the U.S. Um, so to, to try to f- trace the, the, you know, the historical uh, support that there was by the French government for colonial propaganda in, in comics. Um, and then the other thing that's, I think, been getting done more and more now is um, a connecting of what happened in comics with what the same artists did in other art forms and art, other media. So for example, Saint-Augan um, was a cartoonist uh, for the Dessin de Presse, right? He, and, and he published uh, cartoons um, in a whole bunch of different um, newspapers and magazines. Um, he also wrote a, a novel, prose novel, and so in a recent article, I connected anti-Semitism across the, the different kinds of things that he was publishing. And with the 
um, great focus in um, in Francophone Europe on the form, the form of comics themselves, kind of attempt to legitimate um, and define what the form was, how it functioned, and so on. Often, the other kinds of artistic work that artists did was sort of pushed to the side, and I think it's important as as our to, to bring them together, as are doing some other people. Now, for example, uh, Julien Baudry is a specialist of Saint-Augan, and I relied in part on his work um, in writing this article about anti-Semitism. Excellent, yeah. So let's get into the book, uh, Post-Colonialism and Migration in French Comics, um, which I think does an excellent job of blending history with uh, literary criticism and literary studies. Um, which is your your disciplinary home, shall we say? Um, uh, but the book has a really clear chronological trajectory, uh, taking us from what Todd Shepard uh, called the invention of decolonization, up to the post-colonial multicultural present. It comes up into recent years. Um, so, in broad strokes, because we'll revisit these uh, these phases, um, what are the historical phases of this history of post-colonial? So there, there are three. I describe three historical hinges or turns um, in, the, in the introduction and then go back and look at them throughout the book. The first one, it occurred right at the end of the Algerian War. Uh, when the French far right pivoted from prosecuting the Algerian War and desperately trying to keep Algeria French uh, to attacking people from the former French colonies who were living in mainland France and also to supporting a neocolonial approach to the former colonies abroad. Um, and so they made that pivot in part through comics and cartoons. These were effective propaganda tools for them. The second historical turn. So this, uh, this would be the, sorry to interrupt, but this would be of 1962 exactly through the 1960s. So Algeria is independent. In 1962 is the end of this really horrifying war for all parties involved, um, and then so. Algeria is lost. This this is, comes just after the year of Africa. The the empire is 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 more or less gone, and the French right um, now turns on um, the, uh, racial others. Mm-hmm. In, okay, great. So exactly, and that it's, racialization it's, it's, that they uh, they construct in part then through comics and cartoons as well as through. Um, posters, um, you know, uh, political tracts, uh, newspaper articles, and so on and so forth. And that's right. it's such a powerful medium for racist caricatures, obviously. I mean, any, and those of us who've worked in colonial comics, I mean, this is this is the big thing, right? Um, okay, so that's, that's 62 up until roughly? Oh, well, so I think Todd Shepard would say until about 19, uh, 1968, when he sees he sees the far right really breaking through their discourse, breaking through into the the public um, general public discourse, um, so it, so I, about there, um, and then the second historical turn in comics, um, post colonial turn that I point to, is the publication of um, this few page, not very long, but comic strip called Cauchemar Blanc, so White Nightmare. In 1974, in a French comics magazine, L'Echo de Savannes, the Echo of the Savannas, which has a very colonialist sort of ring to it itself, right? Um, or at least an, an, an African ring, L'Echo de Savannes. Um, and so he made the strip in reaction to a wave of anti-immigrant violence at the time that was happening in part through the workings of the far right. So in 1973, 1974, and he reacted to that through this comic that was 
um, very influential, um, and we can we can talk more about that. And then the third one was um, occurred in the late 1970s and early 1980s um, when cartoonists of immigrant and post-colonial heritage started publishing their own comics in in France. And so that really, I think, um, was uh, the beginning of a major shift so that there was a kind of self-representation and an engagement with these caricatures that had long held sway in French and Belgian comics um, and and uh, and um, satirizing them um, and the creation of new representations. And that is what's ongoing now, you know, on today. Um, it's 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 a it's a process that was launched really then. Yeah, and I love how you um, you uh, term that 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 uh, term that turn as the Empire Writes Back, which is you know playing with Salman Rushdie's, uh, uh, or you say no, excuse me, you say the Empire Draws Back, which Salman Rushdie talked about the Empire Writing Back, which is of course Star Wars, or the Empire Striking Back, um, and I I found that um, that parallel with like what Rushdie's describing in the UK really really useful. Um, so what I'm curious about the the term postcolonial and 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 what what does postcolonial mean to you and and how how do you use it as a term I mean there's it's a term that a lot of us throw around but like what what does it mean and and you know how does it differ or line up with um, decolonization uh, neocolonialism what 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 is the postcolonial condition. Right. Well, so for me, it's a useful shorthand, um, despite its uh, imperfections and the fact that it's had very um, accurate critiques made against it. Right. Um, but I, I still think it's useful. Um, so I, I should say what I think it isn't or doesn't mean. I, I don't think it means that colonialism, imperialism and their ills are truly done and gone and, and we can just move on. That's not true. Um and um, so, you know, there, there's an adaptation of uh, colonial ideologies and techniques or neocolonialism still at work in things happening today. For example, the most recent French presidential campaign, right? Um, there, there was much reworking of colonial era um, racism. Um, um, and is it, nor is it uh, post-colonialism the only necessary or useful sort of lens for analyzing social oppression and exclusion, right? I, you know, their class uh, oppression and, and uh, exclusion are um, also exist and often bound up with the kind of colonialist to neo-colonialist approach, um, and and of course, you know, other categories like gender, gender depression are are clearly uh, important still. Um, on the other hand, it sort of helps me understand a shift that occurred. Um, after 1962, um, a political, social, cultural shift at the end of um, um, what was most of at the end of most of what was the French colonial empire. Um, even though we could talk about in the New Caledonia, for example, its situation today, or what you know what's going on in the French Caribbean and so on. But but anyways, so still there was there was a kind of transition from formal colonial empire to a more informal uh, kind of influence abroad and. And also a shift in the recognition, as I said earlier, of the fact that there were um, uh, populations from former French colonies that were living in France, who you know who had become French, and and so post-colonialism 
um, provides a way of thinking about their their life, their existence um, in France today. Mm -hmm. So you you start the book with a dramatic uh, suicide in 2013 in Notre Dame de Paris Cathedral. Um, would you tell us a bit about Dominique uh, Venet and his significance to this history? Sure, of course. Um, so Venet uh, published two autobiographical or autofictional comic books, um, Journal d'un homme bastier from uh, eight, excuse me 1962 and Journal d'un suspect. Uh, for two from two years later, and he, and he, he published he published these. He's he not the artist. He's, he's the publisher. Not the, artist. Right. Yeah. the artist was Jacques de la Roque Latour, who was writing under the anagrammatic pseudonym Coral, Coral. Um, and so Venner was a far right activist and ideologue. Um, he did time in the Santé Prison, um, right next to um, Coral. Uh, they were both there at the same time for their. Um, their colonialist activism and uh, anti-Gaullist activism, that is to say, terrorist activities, right? Um, and so um, Vinay wrote and published a lot of books uh, after he got out, including about guns. He was fascinated with firearms. Um, and he was also editor uh, of the La Nouvelle Revue d'Histoire, um, which was um, a publication I'm not, I haven't followed it recently, so I'm not sure whether it's still around, but, but under him, it defended French colonialism and it was a vehicle for disseminating a lot of far-right ideas. And so I would just go down to the newsstand and, and buy copies, uh, copies there. It was widely available throughout France. Um, and, and just, if I could just um, pause for a second, just uh, for any um, comics uh, fans who may, may not know this moment in French history, at the end of the Algerian War, when de Gaulle it was clear that de Gaulle was going to um, grant independence to Algeria, the French army and members of the French far right turned on de Gaulle. So there's the OAS, the secret army organization, and engages in terrorism against de Gaulle. If you've seen, uh, was it Day of the Jackal? Right, that's right, exactly. They tried to kill, you know, famously tried to kill de Gaulle a bunch of times and then um, even used uh, terrorism against the Pied Noir, the white settler, um, white settlers in French Algeria who were who were leaving for obvious reasons and they tried to keep them there. Um, so that um, these two figures, um, Venet and, and Coral, um, are, were, were they OAS or OAS adjacent? Right. Um, so uh, I'm I, I'm not sure whether I can say for certain whether they were exactly OAS or OAS adjacent. Um, uh, fellow, fellow travelers, to say the least. At the, at the least, yeah. They, they, <laughs> and uh, one of them was involved in the Complot de Paris. Um, so yeah, they they were they were part of. Uh, I mean, so I believe it was venerable part of Jeune Nation. Um, uh, that was um, run by the Cidos brothers, um, and they were they were definitely trying to uh, fight to de Gaulle, de Gaulle, the Gaullist forces, so the fight the government, French government, and and keep um, Algeria French. Yeah, I just, I, just, I just want to clarify that because, like, as, as I was reading this, I was like, my my, I mean, I, I know this history, but my mind was so blown that like this really crucial moment in. Um, French history is so tied into this important turn in the history of French comics, the French bande dessinée. So these these two former terrorists, former prisoners, meet in jail, uh, and uh, Venet publishes Coral's work right right after they got out, and it was immediately um, it was censored. 
for disrespect to the French president. Um, copies were seized, uh, things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, it 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 was um, it was um, really uh, an activist um, work, right? It, it was it was attempting to uh, really fight back against um, the French French president at the time. And, and so Vinay goes on to, to publish these works and he, then he does. Right. Um, so one and, and, and also, well, so one of the drawings that I talk about in the book is a cartoon by, um, by Coral in which it's, it's a caricature of a North African migrant in France. Um, and it is, um, a racist caricature. The it's modeled on a wanted poster for, uh, from the American Far West, um, and it says that uh, the migrant uh, to whom is given a, a a racist and a very vulgar name is a rapist, uh, is a thief, and so on. And uh, and there are thousands of them all around you, so you don't have to look very far for them, right? So this the there was this. Pivot. So it, the, the journal de Bastille really recounts the story of these um, far right terrorists trying to keep Algeria French. But right after that, in the um, publication, the far right publication Europe Action, um, there was already constructed very quickly. And, and Todd Shepard talks about this particular image as well. Right? Um, uh, there was quickly constructed a representation of migrants in France as terrorists, as rapists, as uh, thieves, and so on. Um, so it was this sort of hinge, this pivot um, that, that was taking place. And so, I mean, Coral is, is one of the, the, the main artists with this um, this new phase of um, French right-wing um, uh, comics band destiny. But um, Hergé, who is, his career starts much earlier, um, cast a long shadow over your book. And um, could you could you speak a bit to the, his problematic relationship with um, colonialism and right-wing forces, anti-Semitism, um, and um, how have left-wing, diasporic, and or anti-racist artists dealt with um, the Tantan factor? Um, which again, is... is he 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 is one of the great figures and probably most rec- globally recognizable figures of the francophone band dessinée tradition. Yet his work is so deeply tied into racist colonialism and anti-Semitism and, and, and you know far right anti-communism. Could you say a few words on that? Of course. So I'll, I'll begin by saying that Coral um, was con- was clearly. Um, and openly uh, using drawings modeled on uh, Tintin, right? So he drew himself as a kind of um, uh, far-right, um, white supremacist uh, Tintin um, figure and drew other characters from the series into into the story about French Algeria and trying to keep Algeria French in, in Journal d'Anne Bastier. Um, and... And in fact, the far right has long recognized Hergé as being one of their own. Now, people who would like to sort of put aside Hergé's implication in the far right, um, uh, you know, 
um, generally discount that and say it's it's the far right trying to claim someone for them who really wasn't on the far right. He was just sort of open to his the ideas that were floating around in the time, influenced by other people, and he wasn't fundamentally um, committed to uh, a, a really exclusionary perspective. Anyways, that's not quite my point of view. <laughs> I, 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 I do believe that he was um, deeply committed to the far right. He, you know, all, all his biographers have to acknowledge that he remained committed to the people on the far right with whom he'd worked um, really till the end of his life. I mean, he gave, you know, when they were no longer able to find jobs um, because they couldn't have a um, certificate of a civisme um, that the, the Belgian government gave to those who had, who had not been implicated in the collaboration. He helped them get work. He, he brought them in uh, sometimes, um, you know, um, perhaps illegally, I don't know, but, but certainly clandestinely to work on uh, his own publications. Anyway, so he began his first book. Berger's first book was, um, it was anti-Soviet propaganda in comic book form. That is the first comic strip with Tintin, right? Tintin au pays du Soviet um, from uh, 1929. And then uh, the next book um, was uh, Tintin au Congo, right? So he quickly um, uh, sent Tintin off to support the Belgian colonial project in the Congo. Um, and this was with, um, he was working for a uh, far-right Christian Catholic publication, um, the Vingtième Siècle, and he was in the Petit Vingtième. Uh, the Tintin character was serialized there. And under the uh, direction of the Abbé Norbert Wallès. Um, so that, that was, the, you know, the first and the second are anti-Soviet propaganda, uh, first and second Tintin albums, and then the second one is, um, is Tintin Congo. And then he gets sent off to America. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So, <laughs> and that, 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 that anti-Soviet propaganda, I mean, I, I, I just sort of flashed on the day is 1929, which means he's working on it in 27, 28. Um, this is before Stalinism. I mean, this is a time where maybe it's naive, maybe it's naive, don't, please don't misunderstand me, but there could be some optimism for the, uh, the Soviet Revolution. And there certainly is, uh, you know, a number of fellow travelers. I mean, we, we don't know the horrors of what's to come with um, collectivization and the Great Terror. I'm not not being a tanky apologist here, but just noting that someone who's going diehard anti-communism before Stalin, that there's there's something else there. This isn't the, a left critique. It's not a Trotskyite critique or something. This is, you know, strangle the Marxist revolution in the crib kind of anti-communism, correct? Right. And uh, the again, this um, the director of the publication, Nobel Wallace, um, famously had a bust of Mussolini in his office and he had, he, you know, he met with Mussolini and things like that. So yeah, this is, this is um, yeah, rabid uh, right wing uh, Catholic um, um, 
anti-communism. Yeah. So, so, um, Hergé, so Hergé continues to be a, a landmark in comics history, right? Um, he and his collaborators, they created a drawing style that's been retrospectively dubbed the clear line, la ligne claire, right? Um, it's elegant, it's easy, easy to read, it's recognizable. Um, and many cartoonists at the time and since have been strongly influenced by his style. They continue to be, right? It's, it's a very, um, it's, it's a, it's a, really persuasive and uh, visually um, interesting way of cartooning. Um, and Bruno Lucigne and Anne Miller have argued that the that clear line aesthetic, it's also eminently readable in ideological terms. It's, it's very clear which characters and actions are to be seen as morally right and which are um, in the wrong, right? So, um, and Hergé also mastered how to draw comics as page-turning stories, with a cliffhanger at the end of every single page, right? So it's it may not be a big one, but it gets you turning the pages from from one one to the next. Um, and the Tintin stories are seductive stories. They use exoticism uh, and the exploration of the world by by white men, right? Mainly Tintin and Captain Haddock, um, in a way that makes sense of the world. In, in right, um, it, the series was a huge economic success. And also the celebration of Ergina's art have contributed a lot to the legitimation of comics. But um, this has come at a considerable cost because it has involved constantly downplaying, discounting, and dismissing racist, anti-Semitic, and colonialist aspects of the Tintin stories instead of dealing with them directly, openly, and honestly. Um, and so... The reactions by um, left-wing diasporic and anti-racist artists has been mixed. Um, so, for example, Bujelal, Farid Bujelal of Algerian and Armenian heritage uh, from Toulon in the south of France and, and uh, living in, in Paris now for several decades. Um, he has used parody and pastiche to highlight ethnicity in the strip, right, by um, depicting the Thompson detectives, Dupont et Dupont, um, as, as Hasidic Jews in one panel of his story. Or he's also highlighted the fact that for him, growing up in the in a working-class neighborhood in Toulon in the 1950s and 60s, Tintin was a comic strip for the middle class, right? Um, and not for the working class, really. Um, it was a Catholic middle class kind of phenomenon. Um, and the same was true for Baru. He gained familiarity with Tintin. So Hervé Baru Léa, a, a cartoonist from the northeast of uh, France, uh, one of the most celebrated ones today, um, he gained significant familiarity with Tintin only late um, as an adult after having started making his own comics himself, right? And then he did, though, make fun of communist condemnation of Tintin as a reactionary capitalist in one of his, his comics. <laughs> and and he has said that he is indebted to Hergé for making it possible for him to earn a living by drawing comics through the success of the Tintin series. So it's kind of a, a mixed reaction um, by by such cartoonists. Yeah, and I, I found it interesting in, in your book how you, you show how different artists do these sort of callbacks and, and critiques to this this really important but you know very very problematic figure for for the genre and uh, you wrestle with that. I just I found that so amazing. Um, another really important figure in the genre um, 
within France, but also globally, is Mobius, um, primarily known for the science fiction. I mean, I, I think I, I first encountered um, Mobius, I think maybe in Heavy Metal magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. That, yeah, That's right. Early 80s, you know, like uh-huh. that magazine I was a little embarrassed to have because it was a little, you know, in, in middle school, it was a little little too risque and kind of hid it from my mom. But it had these these amazing European comic artists. And so you posit that Mobius's um, Cushmar Blanc or White Nightmare, uh, 1974, is a significant turning point. Can you tell us about this band designate? You've already mentioned it and um, um, its its impact. Uh, and also, you know, in your book, you repeatedly turn back to it and, and keep uh, there's these callbacks as many of your artists reference it in their work um, in the coming decades. So tell us about this story. Sure, of course. So Cauchemar Blanc is, is again one of these cartoons whose um, work or this particular work, let's say Cauchemar Blanc, Moebius's Cauchemar Blanc, has mostly been analyzed again in a kind of formal um, and aesthetic terms, right? Um, previously, so um, Bruno Le Signe uh, in France, and then Matthew Screech and Anne Miller in the UK, have argued that it helped inaugurate a new realist aesthetic in comics. Um, and an approach to making them and moving comics away from more, more cartoonish um, representations and, say, historical comics or, or, or fantasy comics. Right? Um, and this was actually the only comic that Moebius did in the realist genre under that pseudonym, right? Instead of under his name, uh, a version of his name, Jean Giraud, right? So Giraud or Giraud. Um, in which he usually those names, his real name, he usually used to make realist comic. Uh, yeah, realist comic. Excuse me. So this was the only um, realist comic he used making under the um, under his pseudonym that he usually used for science fiction kinds of comics. So they argued that this story had a big impact generally on comics for adults in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, um, including on important cartoonists such as Jacques Tardy, who went on to depict the First World War in comics. Really important mm-hmm. cartoonist. Um, Tardy's work is just incredible. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, his impact, so the the impact of Cauchemar Blanc um, on the representation of far-right racism and post-colonial migrants had mostly been neglected, mostly but not completely, in the existing scholarship, whereas it's really one of the strip's most important legacies, right? So it had an impact on um, Chantal Montelier, who is an important um, uh, feminist uh, and leftist cartoonist in France, um, and uh, one of those comics that reworked um, Cauchemar Blanc is called Andigang, which was a um, a parody of the um, anti-gang police policing groups um, under uh, Giscard d'Estaing, um, uh, and uh, in in the uh, late 1970s, um, it was also uh, reworked by Farid Boujelal in a comic strip called Ratonade about uh, the racist beating of an Arab, right? So the, I should probably say what Cauchemar Blanc tells or what it, <laughs> the story in it, right? It's, it's a two-part story. The first and longest part is about a group of um, far-right racists who go out and beat up an Arab, uh, but they don't manage to do it. They don't manage to carry out their, their plot uh, instead, they have an accident. They start fighting among themselves. Uh, one of them has a gun, which goes off and it wounds the other. 
right? And so, and the, and, the, and the neighborhood turns on them, right? And the neighborhood turns on them, the neighbors come out. Um, one of the far right gang pretends to be a police officer and in fact is not. And a real police officer from the neighborhood says, hey, wait a minute, you're that, show me that card. That's not a real police card. And, um, and, and the real caught. police officer is um, <laughs> the of Spanish origin. That's right. And he's, he'd like, be ethnic other. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Menus. Um, so um, it turns out that that was, in fact, a nightmare and uh, a nightmare that was being dreamed by the um, head of the gang who then wakes up, realizes that he'd had a nightmare, that it was due to his having eaten a Welsh rarebit that was too hard to digest. Um, and then he, uh, he and the gang go out and then they really beat up an Arab. Um, and in the much, much shorter uh, section of the story, um, they then drive off, uh, leaving the man dead or badly, badly wounded. Um, and the neighbors, instead of coming out and stopping this happening, just look out their windows, peer out uh, onto the spectacle of the, the man lying in the street and the car leaving. So that that's it was a, this anti-racist story that um, that uh, Moebius drew and that was reworked by several cartoonists, including then Bujilal, um, who, who uh, gives the uh, victim a voice. So he's then telling the story instead of it being narrated by a kind of omniscient visual narrator. Um, and by Baru as well, who, who updates it too in one of his um, later comic books. Uh, so he, he, he reworked it a couple times, once in 19, or actually several times, but, but um, most notably in a couple of comic books, one called Cours Camarade, uh, from the slogan Cours Camarade de Vieux Monde et Derrière Toi, uh, from from sixty eight, so this is an eighty eight, and then in L'Autoroute du Soleil in nineteen ninety five, and so he, he he updates the both his own story in the second version, um, but also um, Moebius's um, critique of far right racists, um, and in this case uh, the the um, the far right um, gang is led by someone who is a um, an official um, and would be elected official in uh, a party that is basically the National Front, right? So, so um, Baru has updated the story. Anyways, so yeah, it's, it's a story that influenced several cartoonists who were thinking about racism, anti-racism, um, solidarity with um, ethnic minority and migrant populations. Um, and uh, by reworking it, they, uh, um, had, they came up with new and interesting ways of, of thinking about the problem, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It just, I found that that's such a fascinating turning point, you know, coming after this over a decade of uh, far-right comics dominating in the 60s, and now you have this um, this response. Then that leads us to the third phase that um, you identify in the 1980s, which is, you know, really sort of a, a multicultural uh, response. Um, uh, you, you, you call this period the civil rights comics. Um, so who are the artists associated with Anita comics? Um, and I really enjoyed your discussion of their over-the-top mockery of French racism and like their, I mean, being um, uh, people of color over overplaying the racist stereotypes to uh, to point back at the uh, the racist and, and show how 
absurd they are. And in, in that regard, they, they, they seem so much like the classic French provocateur. Um, but on the other hand, they're doing some really important work here in this contribution towards civil rights uh, and um, movement and, and a multicultural movement of the 1980s. So could you, could you talk about Anita and their role in the comic, comic history in the 1980s? Absolutely. Let, let me just um, go back to one thing you said, yeah. and, and I think it's, um, I think I my book may, may sort of skew things a little bit in that um, the the far right comics from the 1960s, I think were, were known about by very few people, right? So they, they, they didn't dominate um, the scene. They just, they were really um, in their own sort of uh, circles, <laughs> disseminated in just among a small group of far-right activists and so on. It's, it's since then, um, with uh, constant sort of work by the far-right, that this kind of imagery has made it out farther and farther. Um, and, and we can come back to that later, um, sort of how, how they've, how they've um, you know, circulated the stuff more and more. Obviously, the, the web, uh, <laughs> uh, YouTube, and so on and so forth, and social media have been, have been a huge uh, way of getting things out in more recent years um but but anyways um i it's it's more that um in the 1960s after the end of the algerian war the theme just sort of faded away right that the issue of colonialism and comics it just sort of um dropped out uh, is my impression um and and then it uh, it sort of came back slowly but surely and and certainly strongly um, in the the 1980s, as you said, with with Anita Comics, so the the three members of Anita Comics were Farid Boujalal, um, who is um, uh, Algerian uh, and of Algerian and Armenian heritage, born in in France, raised in France in Toulon, um, in a working class neighborhood, and also José Jovert, who, who was a childhood friend of Farid Boujalal, um, also from Toulon, um, except that he immigrated to um, France. Uh, um, with his uh, Spanish Republican family, right? Um, and then the third one is Roland Montpierre, and, uh, who is of Guadeloupean heritage, um, Parisian Guadeloupean heritage. Um, he's gone back to Guadeloupe now. He's, he, he lives in Guadeloupe. Um, and then a fourth person who wasn't really a member of Anita Comics, but nonetheless often worked with him, was Larbi Meshko, another cartoonist of Algerian heritage. He's from Paris, uh, so they, they all, two of them met in, in Toulon, uh, Boujilal and Jovert, and then um, Jovert and Montpierre met um, at the um, École des Beaux-Arts in Paris, where they were both students. Um, and then Larbi Meshko was cartooning um, in Paris, so they were able to meet, I think, through a radio show that um, José Jovert heard. Uh, he overheard to, um, Larbi Meshko talking on a radio show, and so they, they were able to meet. So they, you, you're right. Um, their, their provocation was multivalent. On the one hand, it played a kind of pedagogical role, right? Much like that of teachers in classroom, challenging students to think differently about an issue um, that's generally understood in problematic, cliched ways in a given culture. And in their case, they were trying to prod people into rethinking received ideas uh, rooted in colonial racism and ethno-nationalism, right? Um, and humor was their main vehicle for this kind of self-given mission, right? Uh, making people laugh and surprising them might op- open them up, and especially young people, to, to, to new ideas. Um, different ways of imagining the categories of immigrant um, um, and and uh, and then having 
fun at the expense of racists was certainly part of their game. And in that sense, one could think of them as provocateurs in a kind of classic sense, right? They're, they're, they know they have, um, they, they know who has designated them as the enemy, <laughs> the far right. They know they're not going to change those people's minds. Um, and so uh, mocking them was a way of fighting back, right? This is the best, best they can do. Um, and then they were also making fun of themselves, their, their situation as hungry artists, so their willingness to all, do all kinds of work um, uh, to make a living. So, for example, doing an in-need comics uh, strip uh, for a, a computer publication, right? Um, <laughs> um, and so uh, they were also um, making fun of their own physical or social handicaps and the ways that they themselves had been ridiculed. But they provided art for civil rights magazines, um, event posters, uh, stickers and so on. Um, and over the years since then, these three um, cartoonists, so Boudjol, Jauvert, and Montpierre, um, have um, uh, continued to uh, do civil rights activist and pedagogical work through their comics, drawing, and publishing, but also through cartooning, cartooning workshops in prisons, schools, municipal libraries. Um, and the latter, the schools and the municipal libraries have often been in municipalities with elected officials from the political left. Right. Um, so I can give you just a few examples of posters by um, Anita Comics Together or by various individual cartoonists um, in 1984. So the, 1983 was the big march uh, for equality and against racism, March on Paris from, from the south of France. But um, uh, a version of that that uh, took place in 1984 was called Convergence 84, and it was done on mopeds instead of people walking. Right, so they drew the poster for that, the official poster for Convergence 84. Um, there was also a sticker for that. Um, in 1985, uh, they did a poster for the Maison des Jeunes et de la Culture uh, for an event in solidarity with Nicaraguans. Uh, for 1980, in 1986, they did a poster, um, La Nuit en Banlieue, a concert co-sponsored by Radio Beurre, uh, which is a, a um, Arab uh, and Berber, um, uh, com- what was called a, a community radio station, um, and for Baraka magazine, which was a multicultural um, magazine. Um, so, and they've continued this on uh, over the years uh, in in various ways. Yeah, and they're and they're, you know, that it's you know, in academic speak, the subaltern putting their voice into it and critiquing French society um, and um, from their, you know, marginalized uh, perspectives. Um, could you say a few words about um, Farid Bujela, forgive my pronunciations, um, realist comics? Um, uh, who was he um, and what were the subjects that he engaged? Of course. Um, so he, again, he was from Toulon, born in 1953. His um, paternal grandmother, whose name was Marie Carmagnon, uh, was forced into exile um, during the Armenian genocide in Turkey and uh, settled in Algeria with her Algerian husband, Moussa Boujelal. Um, she later migrated to France with her son, who was Boujelal's father, um, during the Algerian war. And maybe because of it, maybe because of the war, family's not quite certain. Um, and then, um, so uh, Boujelal, the, the cartoonist, uh, grew up in Toulon. And then he, he did studies in accounting um, and, and moved to Paris um, to work as a cartoonist. And so by the um, 1970s, he was uh, beginning to make a living as a cartoonist. Um, 
he um, he is uh, contracted polio as a as a, a a baby, in fact, and so that uh, severely handicapped his his leg. He has a, a disability. Um, he also um, uh, contracted asthma, severe asthma, as a as a young person, um, and that's relevant. Uh, I'll, 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 Get back to in just a second, but it's relevant to to the themes that he worked he's worked on. So he spent his whole career now, which is now over four decades long, drawing stories about French of Algerian heritage and related topics. Um, the realist comics include uh, Lude la Trilogie, which was originally three separate books, Lude in 1983, so the the, the musical instrument from North Africa, um, Le Gourbi, so a hovel, right, uh, a hovel like dwelling. Loud is set in Toulon, Le Gourbi is in, set in Paris, and then Ramadan, about um, uh, Ramadan and, uh, and Muslim, uh, Muslims practicing uh, their religion um, from 1988, um, set in Paris too. And they were all published by the alternative comics publisher Futuropolis um, in, in Paris. Um, and then it continues that story, sort of a family saga, that, uh, that he recounts in those stories, continues in another book called Jean Bombeur, Les Couples Mixtes. Um, so there's a pun there on Jean Bombeur, uh, so a, a ham and butter sandwich, and then an Arab. Uh, Beur is a back slang for Arab. And Les Couples Mixtes, so it was about a mixed couple. Uh, the, his main semi-autobiographical uh, character, Mahmoud, um, being uh, married to a woman of a French, ethnic French background, right? And so thinking through the things, the, the issues uh, that that created, métissage, you know, mixing, cultural mixing, acceptance, rejection, and and the connection of the Algerian war to that, um, or it's it's the memory of the Algerian war as a, as a force on the couple. Um, and then he's, he's um, so he's... Th- in, in that series, he engages with things like immigration, assimilation, colonial history, religious faith, racist discrimination, and so on. And there's a related series titled Petit Polio, so Little Polio or Young Polio, um, which recounts the earlier history of the Slimani fa- family, and uh, especially also of Mahmoud, um, the, again, this character who is kind of um, Bujala's fictive double, right? He's, uh, or autofictional double. Um, and that there are five albums so far in that series, uh, first published from 1998 to 2012, um, Petit Polio 1, 2. The third one is subtitled Mimi d'Armenie. So it's about um, his Armenian grandmother and the memory of the genocide and the, the, the weight of that on her. Um, and then um, a couple other books in the same series, Les Anivantolines. So uh, like a Ventolin inhaler for asthma. So that recounts his struggle with asthma. And then Le Cousin Arqui, um, which returns to, <coughs> excuse me, the memory of the Algerian war, um, the massacre of the Arqui, the, the colonial soldiers in the French army who were mostly left behind in Algeria when the French left in 1962 at the end of the war <coughs> and who were massacred um, by the uh, FLN. Uh, and so um, he returned to that on the anniversary of the of Algerian independence, right, in 2012. Um, so, I mean, they, these, these five books um, deal with issues related to the Algerian war, physical disabilities, polio, severe asthma, 
acceptance or rejection of Islam in France um, and of homosexuality, um, the memory of the French conquest of Algeria, the Algerian War, the massacre of Arki, but also the history of comics, uh, specifically the comics that he read, not Tintin, but rather these um, ones, these comics that were called Petit Pocket or Pocket, which were often um, drawn by Italians um, and then translated into French. So they were published in Italy and then and then translated and published in France in French translation. Um, and of Charlie Monsuel, which was edited by Georges Walensky, um, a, a cartoonist uh, for Charlie Hebdo. Um, Walensky of Tunisian Jewish heritage who was among those murdered in January 2015. Um, and so... Um, uh, Boujilal, um, uh before before the massacre, so we're in, in uh, 2007-2012, was um, going back and celebrating the discovery of comics that he had through that um, influential uh, comics magazine, uh, which republished American comics as well as giving a place for of expression to to French cartoonists. So his his realism is really significant for, you know, Depicting this this post colonial multicultural France perspective from various marginal uh, 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 positions and so forth. Um, could you say a bit about the importance of Baru, the um, one of the most celebrated French uh, comic artists, to uh, post colonial French comics? Absolutely, uh, and I will just say just one one little thing about um, the the book originally had about. Two and a half more chapters. <laughs> it was it was it was way too long, even in the final version. But um, but one of the chapters that I uh, that I regretfully pulled out was uh, about um, Bujela's humorous comics, the the non-realist ones, the, the humor-based ones. Um, and so I, I have a um, a short essay coming out that deals with some of those um, right now. Um, but anyways, uh, so he's got a whole a whole other couple of genres that he's worked in one is humorous comics and the other is a kind of uh, the fantastic uh the fantastic th- uh, tales so um folk tales from north africa that he's um uh reworked uh while bringing in really strong historical elements so the first world war and, and so on um so he's 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 publishes in several genres it's not just Realist comics that he that he works in. So Barry Hervé Barulea um, is is his real name. Um, he's one of the most important and celebrated French cartoonists of, of the twentieth and twenty first century. Um, he twice won the best comic book award at the Angoulême uh, Comics Festival uh, for his work. So in nineteen ninety one and then nineteen ninety six. So the first one was Le Chemin de l'Amérique, which has been published. Um, in English translation as Road to America by Drawn and Quarterly Press in, in uh, Canada. Um, and then L'Autoro du Soleil uh, in 1996, which was an, a, a novel thing at the time. It was a French manga, um, if you like, uh, in, in terms of length and, and approach as well. And so it was first published by, uh, in part at least, by Kodansha Press in Japan. Um, so he reworked it for, for Kasterman. Um, he also... Uh, received the, um, the the biggest prize for French cartoonists, or, or, or that France can offer to any cartoonists, because uh, there have been American cartoonists who've gotten this prize, which is for lifetime achievement at the Angoulême, the grand prize of Angoulême for lifetime achievement. And he got that in 2010, and so therefore 
He presided over the 2011 festival. There was a special exhibit dedicated to his work uh, and so on, as as, is typical of of the awardees. His comics were uh, featured in the 2013 to 2014 exhibition um, in the uh, French Musée de l'Histoire de l'Immigration in Paris, which is in the former um, Musée Permanent des Colonies, right? Uh, Restored and, 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 and the, the, um, its exhibits completely switched. <laughs> um, so the, that exhibit was called Album Bande Dessinée et Immigration, uh, 1913-2013. Um, so he was, his work was featured there. Um, and I'll just say in passing that um, also Bouchelas, uh, some of Bouchelas' work is featured there in that same um, museum in, in the east of Paris at the Bois de Vincennes, um, at the Porte Dorée, as um, part of the um, permanent exhibition about um, about uh, um, migration to France. And just so just as a, a side note, in the in terms of the history of uh, the imagery of the French colonial empire, the the murals, the the 1931 murals are still there in all their colonial boosterous glory and and racial stereotyping and and I mean it it. it any scholar of uh, France in the world needs to spend some time in front of those mirrors to to understand the self uh, uh, the, the French sort of self vision of their place in the world and their relationship with empire. Um, I, it, they're they're really astounding. I mean, we we've seen there's a zillion academic books with um, uh, images from those murals uh, on their covers in various ways because they're just so just so incredible as a historical artifact. Absolutely, yeah. The the murals inside and on the outside, the the, the bas relief, the that the, the, uh, the, the, the sculptures that are all around as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, my, my I, first... dragged, I dragged a family member who who lives just outside, uh, just adjacent to the Bois de Vincennes, uh-huh. um, uh, over there, and then and made him walk the whole thing with me. He <laughs> <laughs> lived there for decades and and never stopped to look at it. Right. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, amazing. It really. He, he, he also, as a side note, um, he won't listen to this, but uh, he also didn't know. Uh, and this is a real Parisian, very proud of being a true Parisian. Didn't know about the Algerian War Monument um, uh, by the Eiffel Tower, and uh, he told me that it was no such thing. And I. I dragged him down there and was just totally surprised by it. I mean, it's, it's a, this is a real side note here, but it's a really curious monument. Um, very understated, but also just very, very unusual. Um, with with the, the names, the names on the, 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 the going in led lights. Right, and, right. and, Up and yeah, down it's, the, anyway, I, I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> but, right. um, so, uh, uh Baruch. <laughs> so yeah, well, it's, it's, so I and again a small digression on my part. That um, my first book, *The Colonial Heritage of French Comics*, um, I, I analyzed um, a lot. I mean, there are, there are a whole bunch, and I didn't even I hadn't discovered them all. I mean, there I found some more since, and I'm sure there are even more still um, comics that were set at that at that event or at similar events. That is to say. The, the event that the museum was first built for, right? The, the Musée Permanent de Colonie, which was built for the 1931 International Colonial Exhibition in Paris. Um, and um, there were a bunch of comics, including by Saint-Augan, right, that were set at the exhibition and that provided either publicity for it or um, sardonic critique of it, uh, more or less, um, as a kind of swindling uh, <laughs> swindling job. So that that was... That was on the more left side of the, the, the cartoonist comics. 
Um, but Baru, um, from the very beginning, um, his works were autobiographically inspired, but strongly fictionalized comics that were integrated. That's to say, <clears throat> they were multi-ethnic and multicultural. Um, and so uh, they're mainly recounted, the, the early ones, um, from the uh, perspective of a character named Hervé, like the author himself, um, and, and foregrounding an Italian immigrant background like that of the artist's father, um, who came to the northeast of France to work in the metal uh, working industry. Um, and the series was called Kicked Blues um, from 1984 through 1986. Uh, but they include young French characters of North African heritage. Uh, they deal with anti maghrebi racism. Um, there's a variety of other ethnicities as well uh, among the characters rooted in work, that working class migration to, to northeast France. And this, um, representing all these different perspectives, <coughs> sprang from a desire um, by the cartoonist to recount stories about the environment in which he grew up. He wanted to, as he said, um, talk about, uh, tell stories about les siens, uh, les, les miens, he says. <coughs> um and also take a political position against the far right and its ideology, which were growing in strength during the years when he started making comics. And, and has, he's continued that engagement, sort of double faithfulness, one to, um, to his roots and the other uh, to taking position against the, the far right and, and rising tide of racism across France in his comics. So you, you've got a chapter on um, Citadel culture and the way in which French comics engage and, and critique this um, in the late Cold War. And I, I, re I really loved your discussion of Beton Armé. Um, and it reminded me so much of the Scorsese film After Hours from uh, the mid 80s. Um, could you talk a bit about Citadel culture and how this how this fits in with um, uh, this history of a post-colonial France? Of course. Thank you. So um, the concept is uh, that of Otto Karl Werkmeister, a Marxist um, art historian, uh, who in 1991 published his book by the title Citadel Culture. And um, he, he wanted something, he wanted a term that would um, tell about a culture that recognized uh, its contradictions um, and, uh, and uh, was trying to keep in abeyance um, a feeling of responsibility or a way of arguing through the contradictions, right? So kind of recognition while, while at the same time a kind of disavowal and, and, and moving back and forth between self-critique, critique, a kind of this iron, a kind of ironic but irresponsible, ultimately irresponsible uh, approach to the, the contradictions of colonialism, I mean, of capitalism rather, and, and what it has done um, across the world, and including, uh, including the relationship between the capitalist countries and the Soviet Union. Um, and so I wasn't so much interested in um, what he had to say about the Cold War per se as part of his argument, another part, uh, which was um, the, what the contradictions of capitalism have produced in, in terms of um, the exploitation of uh, immigrant workers, of people from former colonies and so on. Um, and so, um, in fact, the most famous comic that's rooted in the Cold, in Cold War politics itself would again be from the Tintin series, uh, The Calculus Affair, La Faire Tourne de Sol, uh, serialized 1954 to 1956 and an album published in 1956. 
But so I, I, I sort of piggybacked on what Workmeister had to say about a series, um, the Nicopol Trilogy, which is by a cartoonist Enki Bilal um, from former Yugoslavia who, who migrated, immigrated to France uh, as basically a, a, a political refugee along with his family um, when he was young. Um, and um, Bilal uh, gives a very um, strong critique of the uh, kind of racist exclusion of post-colonial um, and working class people. Um, and it's through the metaphor of a, uh, a walled city, literally, right? It's the, the citadel is a, is a literal thing there. Um, the Egyptian gods have shown up um, and they're going, they want to wheel and deal with the, uh, with the dictator who is uh, governing a Paris as a post-atomic uh, uh, catastrophe um, dystopia, right? Uh, so my interest was in how this kind of consciousness of, uh, of uh, the contradictions of capitalism and post-colonialism was being um, played out and what is played out in, in comics. Um, and I looked at uh, one, one set of comics was by um, Chosy, as you said, uh, Jean-Christophe Chosy. Um, I think that he, he, his comics are indeed uh, of the, the sort of the ideological type that Workmeister was describing, which is to say they don't ever really take a, a position against racism, against um, exclusion, Instead, the, this uh, sort of autobiographical or semi-autobiographical rather um, character double of the author um, sort of bounces back and forth between um, a, a sort of um, wanting to help out uh, the, the excluded and, and wanting to um, have a good time and, and not taking any responsibility for, for um, the circumstances in which he finds himself of, of racist exclusion and so on. Um, so... Then against that, um, I say that Barry's uh, uh, comics uh, use the same kind of metaphor of a kind of citadel, right, of a walling off of uh, the banlieue uh, from the center of Paris, um, and, but in a very much more critical mode, right? So he, he exemplifies what Workmeister calls argumentative culture, um, as opposed to the citadel culture mentality that I find more and Shosi, I think you're absolutely right that Scorsese's film probably inspired um, um, Shosi's Beto Arme. Um, and, and I wish I'd been aware of the connection earlier that you'd made me aware. You didn't, I mean, there was no way you could, but, but I wish I'd, I wish somehow I, I could have had uh, uh, the, the inkling that, uh, that you absolutely uh, correctly, I think, uh, put your finger on. And if my book ever comes out in French translation, you, I will be sure to credit you for, the, for that, okay. that observation. <laughs> so thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I just, you know, w working in, you know, these interdisciplinary approaches to cultural studies. I mean, you start to make these connections. One of the things I find so liberating about these, these interdisciplinary um, approaches is you start to see things in graphic uh, form, in film, in literature that, you know, help, help explain these historical events. Um, you've got two chapters that discuss um, far right um, racist and anti-immigrant comment. Um, I noticed in these chapters you didn't produce any images. Most of the book is is 
wonderfully illustrated here there's no images I, i'm assuming you didn't want to reproduce these odious images um but also can you um and i want to be cognizant of time here but could you tell us um uh this how the, the trajectory of the history of these anti-immigration comics um and you have sort of a dividing line um that takes us from the, the 60s up to roughly 9-11 ish and then 9-11 ish and and beyond Absolutely. So about the images, so there were two things. One was, yes, um, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't keen on reproducing odious images. The other thing was my publisher um, required me to get permission from all the um, artists and or publishers. Uh, and I was not interested in engaging a dialogue uh, with the, these far-right cartoonists or their publishers. Um, so, so I just Un- said... Understood. <laughs> understood and co-signed. Um. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yes, well, so... Um, in in these two chapters, uh, which were originally one that needed to be split because it was just going on and on and on, um, but in these two chapters, I, I sort of work forward from uh, the um, Journal d'un Embastier, uh, published in 1962, um, up up to the present, and um, one first, um, and so and so I I really work on what in part it was what I could get a hold of, right? Because um, th- there these were not necessarily easy comics to find. Um, as I said earlier, they, they sort of circulate in, in very confidential circles. It's sometimes hard to, uh, f- to get them even at a place like the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, right? Um, so um, I went several times to far-right bookstores and, and was able to purchase several, several of these comics that way. But, but one of the most important ones from the 1970s was um, a thing called Les Rats Noirs, the Black Rats which is a kind of self-appropriation of um, uh, the, the representation of the far right as abject, right? So an ironic self-representation, so representing themselves as black rats. It was also um, a parody uh, or, or a pastiche of um, a um, comics by a far right, by not a far right, by, by, a, by a cartoonist um, um, who did nice little comics about animals in which black these black rats are the bad guys right so they reappropriated the that character um, as as self-representation and it was they were drawn for the far-right student organization groupe union droit uh, or or good as it's known which was a very violent uh, group and um Band, <laughs> um, but they, it, it had great success. Uh, it was it was copied in Italy, for example. I mean, it's, it's sort of circulated through far right spheres uh, in multiple countries. Um, I look at another another comic book. I look at there is Avant Guerre, which is this anti Semitic science fiction story. It was scripted by Guillaume Fay, who was one of the ideologues of the, the Nouvelle Droite. Um, and uh, and then another comic that on which I spend a fair amount of time is called Douce France. This was a neo-Nazi comic book by a cartoonist named Sergei. I don't know who hides behind or who hid behind that pseudonym, um, but uh, it's it's violently neo-colonial. It's anti-Semitic. It's anti-Arab. It's anti-immigrant, and it was partially serialized in Tribune Nationaliste, which was the party organ of the uh, Parti Nationaliste Français et Européen a neo-Nazi skinhead organization whose slogan was France d'abord, Blanche toujours. 
so France first to white always. Um, and, uh, and it included attacks on real people, including um, Julien Dre, who is a, a, became a prominent uh, politician, but um, is a French Jew born in Oran, Algeria, and who was uh, vice president of the um, anti-racist group sponsored by the socialist party SOS Racisme. Um, and, and attacks also on, uh, you know, caricature attacks in the comic strip on Arlem Desir, who was the president of SOS Racism and whose father was from Martinique. Um, so it, it's really, I mean, the most disgusting sort of uh, um, material that, that one can imagine um, that, that was articulated in, in comic strips that, again, um, alluded to, quoted, pastiched, reworked images from the Tintin series, right? So really a kind of, again, a kind of touchstone for the far right. Um, a couple of other works that I, I look at in that, in those two chapters are uh, Chirac contre les fachos, which was um, uh, drawn by Char, François Pichard, who's one of the most long-lived and prominent uh, far right cartoonists, um, got worldwide coverage uh, when one of her drawings was selected as the prize winner for um, a, uh, a um, competition of anti-Semitic drawings in Iran. She said she, you know, she, she hadn't submitted her drawing to the, to the event and therefore it wasn't her fault. Um, so Chirac contre les fachos, which um, is a, a reworking of the attempted assassination of, um, of Jacques Chirac uh, um, by a far-right activist, Maxime Brunery. Um, and so it, it sort of parodies that it's it's homophobic, it's um, anti-Semitic, it's I mean it's uh, an anti-Muslim, anti it's racist, um, and it, it sort of makes fun of the whole event um, and uh, and suggests in fact that um, it was a kind of conspiracy that wasn't actually a, a you know it wasn't the fault of the far right guy who 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 went and did it. It was a kind of conspiracy to to um, get at Le Pen, uh, finally. Um, and then the, the, the sort of the thing that the comic strip in two-volume form that brings us up to a kind of post-9-11 uh, perspective is done, was, was um, published by Dieudonné, um, so Dieudonné Mbalambala, Anna Soral, and Zéon. And um, Dieudonné and Soral are notorious because um, of their anti-Semitic um, pronouncements. Dieudonné um, um, you know, is known for his uh, the role that he played in Asterix et Cléopâtre, the the, the uh, live action movie. But then he he went on to um, really join up with anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists um, and 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 with Le Pen himself, Jean-Marie Le Pen, um, as a as a friend. Um, and to and what, uh, what's what's his um, ethnic background? A Cameroonian, yeah. So he's he's not he's not white. He's not white. He's he's yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. And so that's that's the the fascinating thing here is you have Soral who would really like to reconcile um, uh, white working class racism with um, with uh, blacks uh, and, and so on and, and built around anti-Semitism. So that's sort of glue, part of the glue, at least a strong part of the glue that, that um, holds them together. I mean, Judoni is also in big trouble now for, um, tax evasion, 
Um, so, I mean, <laughs> there, there are various things that he's gotten in trouble with the law for. Um, but they have they have this two. I mean, there's been a lot of cartooning done by uh, the groups associated with them. But what I looked at, what I analyzed, was this two volume story called Yacht People. Um, that's again this kind of post nine eleven anti Semitic conspiracy theory. And just, I mean, you, you did a really incredible job recapturing it, but it was just awful to read. I mean, just odious, odious, it, it, odious tropes. It is. I mean, this is, it's, and I think I mentioned this in passing. I mean, it's odious. It's anti-Semitism. I mean, it, it's exploitative in, in sort of all ways you can imagine. Um, so, yeah, it's. I mean, I, 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 I felt for you <laughs> doing the research on this. I mean, is um, I mean, I've I've looked in these dark corners of mm-hmm. you know archival uh, collections and so forth, and I, I really felt for you. I mean, it was just just awful stuff. I I thought it was important to to discuss it because of this kind of post colonial switch where you yeah. have yeah. what what a tradition of far right cartooning that was attacking massively. Um, um, you know, blacks, people of color, people from former colonies. And here you've got this new sort of post-colonial twist where it's anti-Semitism that then binds together um, various groups, in, including formerly colonized ones, um, potentially, right, in, in what they're proposing. Um, and it's uh, scary, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, no it, it's scary. And, and um you know, we're we're talking in December of 2022, which is you know, a few weeks after um, Kanye West's very public meltdowns and anti-Semitic pronouncements, and it's it's difficult not to draw some some parallels there. I mean, in very different contexts and so forth, but it for for those of us who are concerned <laughs> and study. Uh, uh, far right reactionaries over the court historically and in, in the present. This is this is a, a very complicated puzzle that we need to wrestle with. Um, so um, the the last three chapters of the book um, engage immigration uh, to France uh, with an emphasis on trans Mediterranean journeys. Um, who, who are some of the main artists and, and, and themes that they wrestle with? Um, I know the last chapter is, is focused on sans papier um, immigrants without legal status in France. Um, you just t- talk a bit about the various sort of transmigration routes and um, and the experience and the representation um, that in these in these works. Absolutely. So the 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 two chapters before the last um, focus on uh, two artists or sets of artists who um, make comics that could be seen uh, through a more traditional lens as, um, as avant-gardist, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or as innovative formally, right? In formal terms. Yeah, they're, they're, be- they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're, they're breathtaking. Yeah. So the, the, first, the first is um, Ivan Alagbe, who is of uh, Bena heritage uh, on his father's side. Um, and who had a um, had a um, comics association and publisher, comics publisher um, that he created with Olivier Marbeuf, uh, who is Marbeuf, pardon, who is of a Caribbean background. It was called Amok in the per- Paris region in the 1990s, um, and he published there 
uh, first um, a book called uh, Negro Jaune, Yellow Negroes. It's about um, um, undocumented people, uh, uh, about sans papier um, in the Paris region, and their encounters with a former archi soldier who, who got a job in the French police. So who migrated to France after the Algerian war and who was able to integrate, but who is incredibly alienated from pretty much everyone and who is exploitative in his own marginal way. So he, he exploits, he is, he is himself a kind of victim of history as a former Aki has been profoundly wounded psychically and so on. And he exploits um, people who um, of, of West African uh, sub-Saharan African heritage, uh, black, who are uh, who don't have papers and who are living in the Paris region. So it's it's um, it's been uh, regarded as a very interesting, both politically and also in the form, right? Um, in a kind of cartooning that is far away from the clear line. It's a much more along the lines of artists uh, sketching. Uh, of, of a more art um, art uh, school, a kind of a cartooning, even though uh, Alagbe, well, he did he did study in uh, in Angoulême. Um, so that's the, that's the one, and so there's there is certainly some trans Mediterranean migration there. It's the former um, it's the former Aki who who moves to to France. The other one is about a trip from Lebanon from Beirut uh, to Paris by Zina Abirached, who is of Lebanese Christian background. And the, the book is called Le Piano Oriental. Um, in it, she uh, reworks her family history, including the, uh, the, the work that her one of her um, ancestors did as translator for the French in uh, Lebanon during the mandate period. Um, and so his, uh, his adoption of the French language, his interest in France, uh, but also he's someone who never went to France, right? She reworks that alongside another um, ancestor, great-grandfather, uh, who um, invented an oriental piano. That is to say, a piano that looks the same as any other piano, but which has been modified inside to be able to play the quarter tones of, of oriental music. Um, and so she then, against the background of those that sort of family history of um, investment in the French language and French culture, and also a, trying to, an attempt to um, make Western and Eastern cultures cohabit in this, uh, in this Oriental piano, she projects her own, um, her own growth as an artist and her own project of, of going to Paris um, gaining French nationality there and, and uh, working as a cartoonist. So she, she sees herself as kind of uh, continuing the, the kinds of projects that her ancestors had been invested in and, and succeeding in, in a way that perhaps they weren't able to uh, because the Oriental piano never gets uh, produced on a mass scale. That, that project sort of falls flat. Um, and, and, uh, and then there's the, the, um, the Algerian, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the, the Lebanese civil war that creates this big uh, chasm in, in um, Lebanese society 
um, and which she dealt with in her preceding uh, comic books. Right? So, so that's that's the 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 other um, chapter. Just before then, the final one, which is about sans papier, as you said, um, and and in that in that I tried to trace out a kind of history of the representation of sans papier in comics, starting with Sliman uh, Zegidul, uh, uh, who was an Algerian cartoonist um, and who published a comic book um, in um, 1974. Um, called L'Emigration de Jeha. Jeha is a kind of folk character, um, sort of a trickster uh, from North Africa and the Middle East. Um, and um, he is a migrant in France in this, in this uh, comic strip. Um, so in different, in different genres, in fiction, in reportage, um, uh, so um, comics about um, the uh, visits by cartoonists who go to um, migrant camps in the southeast of France and in the northwest, so Calais and and down in the in, in the southeast as well. The, the famous jungle, right? La jungle. The inf- infamous, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, those are the the, the different genres. Um, you know, both fiction um, and the other fictional work that I look at is another one by Barry uh, called Fais Péter le Bas Bruno, in which the the hero is a West African migrant from, no doubt from Mali, um, who, who ends up in France and who ends up being the only one who, who succeeds in keeping some of the loot that was stolen from a, a holdup of, uh, of a, a armored vehicle um, in, in transferring money between supermarkets in France. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Mark, you've been really generous with your time. Um, before I let you go, I've got two, two questions for you. Um, first, can you suggest two books uh, for the audience to read? That's, that's maybe the hardest question. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I get people on and cheat and try to give me three. Um, <laughs> could I give you 20? <laughs> 20. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean... It's it's really I think an impossible question to answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it depends on whether you're wanting to read a, a book in French or in English. Um, I, so there are some uh, comics that uh, that I've discussed that are I discuss in in this book or in preceding ones uh, that have been published in, in English translation. So one of them is uh, Road to America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I hire. Heartily recommend that. Um, I, rec- I recommend all the books they talk about, except for the far right ones. In my volume, um, pretty much. Um, but uh, if you, so, I, I'll recommend another one that's not not that I don't talk about at all here. That I do talk about in the preceding work, um, uh, redrawing uh, French Empire and comics, um, which is um, by uh, David B called La Sanson du Omal, um, and, uh, and in English it's translated as epileptic. Um, and it's an autobiographical work in which he talks about a bit, at least, the Algerian War. Um, but it's, it's sort of, it, it will then take you far away from a lot of the stuff that I've discussed here. Yeah, But, but David Bay worked with, um, with uh, Jauvert, with Boudjellal, uh, with Montpierre, as uh, a fellow traveler, if you like, with the Anita Comics group. Um, so he, he's a fascinating cartoonist. Excellent. And, and finally, what are you working on now and what can we hope to see from you next? 
<laughs> so I'm, I've gone uh, to the 19th century um, and I'm working on 19th century comics. Um, so it's sort of back to the origins of, of comics. Um, I think there's still a fair amount of work to be done there. And uh, part of what I'm interested in is how comics interact with other artistic forms there, um, including uh, press cartoons, uh, dessin de presse, um, painting. A lot of the cartoonists were painters by, by um, professional um, training. Um, so, so that's what I'm working on now. Fantastic. Um, Mark, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate the invitation, and it's it's uh, your questions were very stimulating, very helpful. Well, Thank you so much. I, I've appreciated your work over these years, so <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so this has been a conversation with Dr. Mark McKinney, professor of French at Miami University, Ohio, about post-colonialism and migration in French comics, out with Leuven University Press in 2020. I'm Michael Van of Sacramento State University, and this has been an episode of New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. Thank you for listening.